Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Love him or hate him, facts show that the world community did not take President Trump very seriously. It was the day the world, or at least the United Nations, gave a listen to Donald Trump and then laughed. Not with him, at him. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. So true. (laughs) Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. And again, love him or hate him, facts show that Trump had spent the last four years pushing away allies and courting dictators. He speaks and his people sit up at attention. I want my people to do the same. And even though the transition is in holdup mode, President-elect Biden is taking a different approach to global affairs. The reception and welcome we've gotten around the world from our allies and our friends has been real. I'm letting them know that America's back. Despite a raging pandemic and a troubled economy at home, executing foreign policy is a huge part of what a president does. So what might we expect from a President Biden on that front? Evo Dalder's with me. He's the president of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and a former U.S. ambassador to NATO. He joins us now to give us a sense. Evo, hello. Oh, great to be here. So uh, what have global reactions been like to Biden's win? Well, particularly among our friends and allies around the world, a, a sigh of collective relief. Yeah. Uh, the idea that the United States, as, as President-elect Biden uh, just said in, in the clip you played, uh, is back, that it's rejoining the world. Many of our friends and allies in Europe and Asia uh, have been wondering what had happened to the United States, have been worried that the United States was both retrenching and no longer willing to play uh, with uh, our friends around the world. And in the first phone calls that uh, President-elect Biden uh, has made with our allies, both uh, here in North America with the Canadians and, and then in Europe and uh, subsequently with Asia, the notion is we're back. Uh, we want to work with other countries to address the massive problems that we all face together. Yeah. President Trump led with his America first foreign policy. What does that mean? And, and give us an idea of, of how that policy is different to policies in the past. Well, of course, every president, by definition, put America first. That is to say, it pursued a foreign policy uh, that tried to uh, make sure that American interest American security, American prosperity, American freedom was uh, preserved and strengthened and enhanced by uh, our foreign policy. What's different is not the word, uh, although uh, that was the phrase that actually harkened back to the 1930s. It is the idea that the United States shouldn't be leading anymore, but it should be winning. And Trump's uh, view of its engagement with the rest of the world was zero sum, that the only way we could actually achieve our objectives, our goals, was to win by beating others. And everything was seen as a transaction, whether it was defense spending in NATO, trade agreements with China, or uh, dealing with uh, Saudi Arabia. The issue was, what could we get out of that relationship? How could we make sure that we beat the Chinese when it came to trade agreements, that we could sell more arms to uh, the Saudis, that we could ensure that the NATO allies would start not only paying more for their own defense, but start paying us for uh, that defense. And that transactional way of thinking uh, was very very different, very new, and uh, hadn't been 
really part of the American vocabulary, American way of thinking, for the 75 years that the United States has been uh, leading uh, around the globe since the end of World War II. You really nailed it there. I mean, this idea that it was transactional, even his stay with the NATO allies for a second and, and just the dues that were being paid. I mean, he it really did sell to his base or to, to people who were, were all about, uh, you know, making America great again, that past presidents and past administrations had put us at a loss. Yeah, exactly. He, he talked about us as being played for suckers, uh, that uh, somehow we were providing defense to other countries uh, and uh, we were doing so for free. And in fact, that they should be paying us. I mean, he literally uh, talked about paying. And the first meeting he had with the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, who came to Washington in, in March of 2017, mm-hmm. he had a meeting with her in the Oval Office. And he said at the end of the meeting, he says, Chancellor, you're terrific, but you owe me a billion. Uh, and there was this idea that somehow because the Germans hadn't paid enough for their own defense, and they haven't, by the way, something that most mm-hmm. of the American presidents in the past have, have uh, complained about, the idea was the money was owed to the United States. And indeed, uh, just uh, earlier this year, the U.S. decided to withdraw 12,000 troops from Germany in the argument that, you well, you're not doing enough, and therefore we're just going to take our troops out. But mm-hmm. those troops aren't there just to defend Germany. They're there to to defend our interests. I mean, the last time we didn't have troops in Europe was before World War II. And how did that turn out? So obviously with with Joe Biden, he has a lot of experience in the Senate, but he also has experience being in the Obama administration as the vice president. Uh, What can you glean from, from what he had done in that role and what he'll take from that role and apply to being the president? Well, aside from sort of returning to the kind of mainstream way in which you interact uh, with the rest of the world, which clearly sees that there are allies and friends that we want to work with, and there are adversaries that we need to work against. The stress that uh, Biden will put on foreign policy first is to be humble about our ability to change the political situations in other countries. Yes, we should provide the power that we have, work together with other countries and try to convince and persuade other countries to change course. Uh, And when it comes to issues like democracy and the internal ordering of societies to change, but not to do so with the use of force. Biden was quite skeptical about the surge uh, that we uh, pushed uh, before he began when he was in the Senate in Iraq, but then when he was vice president in Afghanistan, he said, you know, the idea that if we, if we send 100,000 troops there, that that will somehow bring democracy or, or peace and stability for the long term in Afghanistan is probably wrong. Our interest really ought to be focused on counterterrorism, uh, a, a more limited focused mission. That's one area, by the way, not that different from where the Trump administration yeah. was. I think that's one uh, change. Second is on Russia. It is notable that uh, when he was asked in the 60-minute interviews a couple of weeks ago, uh, what is the number one threat we faced? He said Russia, immediately followed by China. Uh, but Russia still is, is in Biden's view, an adversary that needs to uh, be dealt with and confronted. And he has no romantic views when it comes to Vladimir Putin, in contrast to, uh, to President Trump, uh, and a belief that we really do need to push back on a country that uses force to change boundaries and uh, poisons its political adversaries in the way that uh, really hasn't happened in the last four years. Yeah. And then third, I think with regard to China, we have fallen in a zero-sum 
competition with China, where nothing that China does uh, seems to be good, and everything we need to do is, again, to beat the Chinese in their own game. I think Biden will recognize that we are in a competition, that we won't change Chinese economic and political system anytime soon, but that we also do need the, the Chinese to cooperate with uh, the rest of the world if we're going to deal with climate change, if we're going to get a handle on the pandemic, if we're going to address uh, questions of nuclear proliferation. So diplomacy will be back. Engaging with other countries will be back. No rose-colored glasses when it comes to uh, our adversaries, but a, a sober uh, kind of diplomacy and engagement uh, based on the realization we're better off working with our friends and partners yeah. uh, than against them. Let's stay on the adversaries for just a second, because um, the president, uh, the current president, President Trump, he, he seemed to go out of his way to develop relationships with those who we didn't have relationships with before. He seemed to be a guy that said, if you just talk to these guys, if you just go in and talk to these guys and, and you know, negotiate, then I, I think that's a better, a smarter path than uh, that they have to do other things in their country before we even talk. He changed that, uh, and, and probably the, the first president to do that since, I, I don't Nixon maybe. Will we see that uh, Biden go back to that, where there are going to be restrictions on who he meets with, uh, restrictions on, on what he talks about until some of the things that those countries are doing are cleaned up? So, no, I don't think so. And indeed, you know, Barack Obama is one of the first things he did when he became president was uh, to uh, reach out to the Iranians to start a dialogue with them. The idea that you talk to your adversaries is not novel. Uh, what was novel in the Trump administration, that it was the one-on-one -on -one diplomacy, mm -hmm. the belief that only the president of the United States, Donald Trump, through his charisma and strength of uh, the ability to negotiate, could convince adversaries to make deals with them and not spend time to prepare the groundwork for uh, trying to actually achieve something. So take North Korea. Uh, three major meetings between Trump and, and Kim Jong-un resulted in nothing, uh, literally nothing. The Koreans have continued to develop more nuclear weapons. They have continued to develop uh, uh, bigger and larger and, and more capable missiles. And the threat that, Korea fo uh, that North Korea uh, poses today is larger uh, than it was when Donald Trump came into office. The same is true with Vladimir Putin. Yes, his administration and the Congress uh, has put uh, a number of sanctions and important uh, countermeasures against the, the Russians. But his belief that he could just sit down with Putin and, and, and solve problems uh, by, by having a one-on-one -on -one conversation just didn't pan out. It takes hard work. It takes a lot of diplomacy. It takes uh, serious negotiations that looks at carrots and sticks to get to an outcome uh, that both sides can agree upon. And yes, that does mean that you need to uh, deal with your adversaries and perhaps do so directly. You know, you don't make peace with your friends. You make peace with your enemies. So in that sense, being engaged diplomatically makes sense. But this overly personalized idea that only the presidents, if they just sit down for a couple of hours in a room, can solve all problems. Uh, that didn't work in the last four years, and Biden understands that while personal relationships are really very important, uh, and he has relationships with most leaders around the world, in the end it takes a, a much more concerted effort than uh, just sitting in the room for a couple of hours to get things done. Okay, so some of, some of the big things that came out of the Obama administration, the Iranian nuclear deal, the Paris Climate Accord, both of those, the, the United States have pulled out of those deals. Do you think that the uh, Biden administration will re-engage 
uh, and and find ways to reconnect, uh, whether with new deals or enter back into these existing deals? Yeah, I think Biden has made clear that uh, on day one, he will rejoin the uh, Paris Agreement, which, by the way, we only formally left uh, the day after the election on November 4th and recommit ourselves to those agreements. So that will be done. He will also rejoin the uh, World Health Organization, mm-hmm. from which we have actually not yet formally withdrawn. So that's an easy uh, an easy get. And he has committed himself to rejoining the uh, the nuclear deal with Iran. That's more difficult because it's not just what the United States will do. It's also what will the Iranians do because the Iranians, of course, uh, have responded to, to uh, the decision by President Trump to walk away from that agreement by restarting part of their uh, nuclear program uh, and are now in violation of that agreement. And therefore, before the U.S. can rejoin the agreement, the Iranians will have to agree to go back to uh, its terms. There's also uh, the reality that that agreement, which was signed in 2015, uh, some of those provisions uh, were going to uh, start to phase out in 2025 and 2030. Mm -hmm. Well, that's much sooner than when it was signed. And so there will be an incentive uh, on the part of the administration to work with the Iranians and say, can we improve on the deal? Can we make it a better deal? On the other hand, the Iranians are going to sit there and say, well, wait a minute. We signed an agreement with you last time, and within a couple of years, you guys walked away from it. What guarantee? Say that's not going to happen again, right? <laughs> right. Uh, that that won't happen. So the, the Iranian one's going to be tougher. On the other hand, it's an agreement that uh, our European allies are are, are deeply entrenched uh, and and committed to, and working with them to see if we can get a a deal that extends some of the the terms that Obama was able to negotiate may get us uh, a, a better deal at, a, at this particular point in time. One of our allies, of course, in the Middle East is Israel. And we saw with the Trump uh, administration that they went to, to lengths to to change where the uh, the embassy was at to to really go in a different direction uh, than we've gone in the past. What's the relationship going to be like with Israel? Because they got what they wanted from from President Trump. Do they? Is there a healthy relationship with uh, with the, the president elect? Uh, is it something that uh, they can uh, essentially assume that they're going to continue this relationship of of getting what they want from from the United States? One of the reasons that uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu may have been a little later in congratulating Biden on the victory was that he's deeply invested and was deeply invested with the relationship with uh, President Trump. He got an awful lot for very, very little uh, from uh, the Trump administration. And it it is likely that the policy that uh, a Biden administration would pursue towards the region uh, will be uh, a, a little different. I don't think that uh, some of the uh, decisions that were going to be made are reversed. Uh, for example, I don't see the embassy uh, that is now, which is now in Jerusalem, being moved back to Tel Aviv. But other things will be reversed. For example, it's likely that a consulate that we used to have in Jerusalem that was sort of unofficially a conduit to the Palestinians and uh, a PLO office that used to be open in Washington might be reopened, that the funding uh, to the UN agencies in support of the Palestinians would be uh, restarted and an attempt to find a way to to restart a dialogue with the Palestinians would be there. I also don't think that the peace plan that uh, uh, President Trump put on the table a few months ago uh, is going to survive in a Biden uh, administration, certainly not the idea of allowing Israel to annex uh, whole parts of the West Bank. So it's going to be a a, a relationship that that is less one way uh, in which whatever Israel wants seems to be uh, what it got and more uh, 
trying to see if there's a way to move forward to uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian track. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, the, the progress already made with uh, normalization agreements in Bahrain and the UAE will clearly be supported uh, by uh, the Biden administration and hopefully extended. What's the harm of the chaos right now with the transition? Part of the harm is that, that it, it just takes time to get up to speed, to find out what's going on, to understand the kind of intelligence we do have on a variety of countries and a variety of crises that may be emerging uh, so that you can, on the day that you actually enter office, the, you know, the minute after noon uh, on January 20th, 2021, you can, you can start from uh, a perspective that allows you to have more information about where we are than you would otherwise. So that, that's one piece of harm. The second uh, and perhaps more lasting piece of harm is uh, the message that we're sending to the rest of the world. You know, we've always said that democracy is something we support is important and that the key to democracy is that uh, when the incumbent loses the election, they need to leave office uh, and to do so peacefully and that we have a peaceful transfer of power. And that is at this moment being denied. It is strengthening the hand of those countries and those leaders in countries who have a more authoritarian bent, or indeed are authoritarian in and of themselves, the Viktor Orbans in Hungary, uh, uh, to, to name just one country, the Erdogans uh, in Turkey, to name another, uh, let alone the Maduros and others uh, who uh, are in control of their uh, societies writ large, they now have an example of holding on to power even when they lost. They can point to the United States of America. And that is makes it more difficult uh, for us to make the case that having a democratic uh, system that respects the rule of law and abides by human rights uh, is, uh, is necessary and important to have good relations right. with the United States. Right. That's made more difficult. Evo Dalder, the president of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and a former U.S. ambassador to NATO. You can find a new piece out this morning uh, he wrote about the transition in foreign affairs. Uh, Evo, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. And that is it for Resets today. Like our conversations and want to hear more? Go to our archive at wbez.org reset. Take a minute or less to give this podcast a rating. It really helps other people find us. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.